0: Genesis chapter 29, if you read ahead, it's one of those interesting stories in the Bible. If you didn't read ahead and you've never read this chapter, be prepared to be shocked. This is Jerry Springer type of material. Um, It's it's odd. Um, And the title of the study is Surprise, I'm the Firstborn. And this is about Rachel and Leah and Jacob. And he does get a surprise. In this chapter, we're going to see the providence of God guiding Jacob. We're going to see the law of reciprocity at work. You reap what you sow. We're going to see the joy of love and disappointment in marriage. And we're also going to see that God is at work to fulfill the promise that a seed would come that would crush the head of the serpent. And we know in that third song that we were singing, it says uh, the Lord running to us, right? And he started running long before Bethlehem when Jesus was born. He, he came running in this crazy chapter that's full of deception and um, you know, deceit and, and trickery. In this chapter, we see the Lord running to us because he is raising up the family, that next step in the line of the Lord. Let's begin, we're going to look at verses 1 through 14 in this first section that we're calling God's providential care, but first we'll read the first six verses. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east, and he looked and saw a well in the field, and behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, a large stone was on the well's mouth, now, all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth. So it was like a covering, right? Keep animals out, keep it clean, keep it safe. They watered the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Then he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And quite the con- con- uh, conversationalist here, you know, it's just like, Yep, yeah, we know him. You're in Haran. We know him. He said, is he well? He's well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. And so we begin here, these first six verses, seeing that Jacob arrives safely at the place that he had set out for. Remember chapter 28, he has to flee his house because of the deceit uh, that he performed on Esau and his dad. And they didn't want him to take a wife from among the Canaanites. But Esau's like, I'm going to kill that guy. As soon as dad's dead, I'm going to kill him. And so they send him away for protection and to find a wife. He gets to Bethel, maybe 70 miles north of Beersheba. And he has a dream and he sees a gateway into heaven. He sees stairs that lead into heaven. And angels of God are ascending and descending on it. And the Lord promises the have a Uh, promise to him, blessing to him, and that he is going to be that next man in the lineage. John chapter 1, last verse of John chapter 1, Jesus said, "I I am that ladder. And the angels of God are ascending and descending on me. He is the access point. Jesus is the access point. He, Jacob doesn't fully understand chapter 28. He doesn't understand what Jesus told us in John chapter 1, but he knows he's had an encounter with God. And he sets up that pillar and he anoints it with oil and he remembers the place that he met with the Lord. He called it the house of God. So he's on his journey. Another 400 miles or so to go from there. He's never gone this way before. There's no GPS, there's no AAA, there's no maps, there's no gas stations. If you're older, you don't even know what I mean by gas station. But that's where we used to stop for, does anybody remember stopping at the gas station for directions? It's like, uh, how do you get to this place? And then you go a little further, okay, now where? And you kind of picked your way at where you were going. But back then, they didn't have any of that. They had another, uh, maybe a family set up on on the, you know, near the trail, or they ran to other people, am I still heading towards the right place? And eventually, he comes to this spot. And he's like, where am I? And they're like, this guy's not very bright. You know, you're you're in Haran. (laughs) Okay, well, do you know Laban? Yes, we know him. And is he all right? Well, there's his daughter coming right now. But we he comes upon a scene that he's very familiar with, right? These are shepherds, they're tending the flock. He was a shepherd, he took care of the flock. This was a familiar scene for him. And he kind of, we're gonna see this in the next section. He's a little bit. I don't know, it just kind of seems a little bit uppity. Uh, Maybe that's not a right reading of it, but I'll let you you judge for yourself as we go through this. But he's he's found this place, and God has been true to his word. Could you imagine setting out today by yourself on a 400-mile journey, on foot, to a place you've never been? Because you deceived your brother and your father, and he wants to kill you? He had an encounter with God, and that's been a blessing. But this is what he's going through. And he is trusting the Lord as he's led by his mom and dad, as he has had that encounter. He's trusting the Lord to take care of him. And as he gets to this moment, he realizes God was faithful. God took care of me. And it's God's sovereign or providential care over his life that he, that he had promised to him there at Bethel that is experienced. We all know what it's like to have to trust in the Lord for something, don't we? We all have experiences where we are going in a direction and we're heading down a path we've never been before. Maybe that's a perfect description of your life right now. You are on a path. You're going through things. You're experiencing things that you have never experienced before. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's job. Maybe it's family. I don't know. Maybe it's ministry. And you've never walked this way before. And it seems scary and it seems intimidating. Well, good news Just as God was faithful to Jacob, so he will be to you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us how to walk these roads. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Ponder the beauty of that. That you can be directed by God. That he will lead you. That he will guide you. God sent his good shepherd Jesus to to take us through this life. And if you're willing to, and if I'm willing to, he will show us what to do. He will be faithful to get us to Haran. But you've got to trust him and you've got to lean on him. Not your own understanding. Lean on him. Direct uh, all of your ways towards him. And you're going to see his faithfulness. Now here's the question. Do we have the appropriate joy and peace for knowing that God leads us in this way? That there is a providential care that is over our life. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to be with you. How does that impact you? That in your job, your health, your family, your ministry, that you have God himself leading and guiding and directing you. This is what Jesus said is that there is a broad is a road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to life. And how many are on that path? What does he say? A few. It is not the majority of this world that is following hard after God and have that intimate personal guiding and leading of their life, but you do. You're a child of the Lord. And God says, I will lead you, I will protect you, I'm going to see you through. That ought to cause us all to just stop and say, who am I that you would be mindful of me, Lord? That I would be called into this, and that you will lead me through this life? And again, the question is, do we have the appropriate joy from knowing that he's going to lead us this way? And do we have the appropriate peace we should have from knowing that God is going to lead us? It, you know, it's a challenge enough when we know the path, it's anticipated, and we've got it kind of locked inside and there's not a whole lot of questions. It's hard enough right then and there to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and to not lean on our own understanding. But when it's a mystery, when we don't see the future, when we don't know how it's going to turn out, it's even more difficult. But you can trust in the Lord completely and totally for your life. He cares, he knows, and he sees. I love this when he says, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Lean on the Lord and the the truth that he wants to give to you. Have you, you know, done the thing where you're leaning into somebody and they let you go and they kind of catch you and let you go? And that sense of if I let you go, you're going to the ground. That's when you're truly trusting in somebody, Right. That's when you're, you know, I am in your hands. If you drop me, I'm going to the ground. And that's the way the Lord wants us to be with Him. That our trust would be so implicit, so complete, that that if we, if God doesn't show up, then what we're trusting in Him for is gonna fail. But we like to hedge our bets. We like to kind of say, Well, you know, I trust in the Lord, but not with my whole heart, not with my complete understanding. Am I going to acknowledge you? I'm going to. I've got a few ideas of my own, Lord. I have some experiences and I have some ideas, but the Lord says, "Trust in the Lord, Yahweh, with all your heart." When you do that, there will be a joy and there will be a peace that accompanies your journey. Know that God cares for you. Verses seven through fourteen, we see that Jacob seeks to impress the family and ingratiate himself to his mother's family. So then he said, look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered. Water the sheep and go feed them. Now, they, they respond and say, they give an explanation. But I can tell you that if a guy who didn't even know what town he was in showed up and then wanted to tell me how to start doing my job, I'd be like, buddy, I don't need your advice, okay? You're not from around here. You don't know what you're doing. You don't even know what town you're from. And you're going to tell us how to care for our flock. But that doesn't stop Jacob. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together. And they've rolled the stone from the well's mouth. And then we water the sheep. So it was a community thing. It was a protection thing. It was a heavy stone. And they all did it together. And it didn't put a strain on any one person. Now while he was speaking, verse 9, with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. For she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. He is overcome. Now, I don't think this is any kind of romantic kiss that he's laying on her. It's a, it's a familial kiss. He's get, Laban's going to come and kiss him. And it was family. And there was this, this sense of, God has brought me to the place. And he is just overcome with so much joy. Again, a little bit of bravado here with the whole uh, stone over the mouth of the well. All of the shepherds would come and move it together because it was heavy. But he's like, look what I can do. And he moves the stone. And oh, Rachel, you're part of the family, uh, you know, and there's so many parallels here. Because remember when Abraham's servant came to Haran and he ended up meeting um, Rebecca, and that the servant probably Eleazar had prayed, "Lord, um, bless my journey, and if it's Your will that uh, the, you know that the wife would be taken, let her let her offer water, and she ends up giving the entire flock, you know, not the flock, the camels and all." Um, all that water, and he's like, "Well, you're the one," and he praises the Lord, and he prays to the Lord, and and she ends up getting uh, invited to be the wife of Isaac, and she goes back. Now, here you have again another well seen family coming from the same family to, you know, extended family, and as he shows up, he's like, but "I know what to do here. I'm going to move this thing, and I'm going to water all the flock." You know, he had heard these stories, and he's again, he's in a desperate situation when Eleazar came from Abraham. He came with camels and servants, and that camel train was loaded down with all kinds of jewelry and gold and bracelets, remember? But Jacob comes rolling into town. He doesn't even know where he is. He doesn't have anybody traveling with him. He doesn't have any animals, and he probably looks pretty rough. And so he's coming in, and he's seeking to ingratiate himself to the family. He is thankful. He's overcome with these tears. So verse 13 um, Verse 12, and Jacob told Rachel that he was a father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. She knew the story too, right? Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him. For a month, so God's providential care brings him to this place where it's all um, working out, and it will work out. But it's not going to be a smooth road. We're going to see this. (laughs) Um, This kiss that Jacob receives from Laban. Interesting, because Laban is going to be proven to be quite the scoundrel. I mean, if if Jacob is a deceiver. He's about to meet the arch deceiver, the deceiver of them all. This is uncle deceiver, right? This is a guy that knows how to play the situation, and he's going to do it. But he greets him with this warm kiss, which would tend to communicate warmth and love and care, and else it's all going to work out. But Jacob knew something, although he maybe doesn't identify this kiss For what it is right now, or what it's going to feel like in the months to come, seven years to come, actually. He has kissed like this before, hasn't he? Jacob has kissed with a beguiling kiss to his father. When his father, Isaac, says, Come to me, Jacob, it's, you know, you know, you feel like you know your, your brother. You sound like Jacob, and he gave him that kiss, and he beguiled his father with a kiss. It's interesting. You probably could do a little topical study on kisses in the Bible. Because I'm sure a lot of you are thinking about Judas right now, right? How he betrayed the Lord with a kiss. Maybe not as, in this instance, as um, as uh, deceitful as it was when Jacob did this with his dad, but we're going to see that Laban is no um, guy to mess with. So Rachel receives a kiss. Laban gives a kiss. He's being welcomed in the family. It's been 97 years since Laban has seen his sister. I mean, it's been a long time. A lot of time has passed. And now he has his sheckless nephew. He came running and he shows up and he goes, oh. No camels this time. Okay. All right. So, But he still welcomes them in. And there is this contrast, these parallels. Think of Eleazar. When he came, he came full of prayer. Asking the Lord. He, he was full of praise. When things came together, he began to worship the Lord. He began to thank the Lord. He gave him glory and he gave him honor. We get none of that with Jacob. I don't want to read too much into that, but... We as believers should be full of prayer and full of praise at all times. And Jacob, this would be a good time to be praying for the blessing of the Lord. This would be a good time to thank the Lord for the prosperity, for that providential care that he has shown to you to lead you these 450 miles all by yourself to this location. And it's just, it doesn't say that he didn't pray, but we have no information that he did pray. We need to be a people of prayer and praise. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I know the, the answer to this. Because I know the answer from my own life. We can all be praying more. We can all be praising more. We all could be talking to the Lord more than we are. And I would just, uh, just say, allow this absence of it to be a mirror to reflect your own life. Is there an abundance of prayer and praise in your life? Or is it, is it kind of scarce? Is it not there very often? If so, then, then just say, Lord, all right, I'm going to become a woman who praises you far more than I have, and I'm going to be a man that prays to you far more, far more than I have in the past, to be a people of prayer and praise. Let's move on, verses 15 through 22. We see that Jacob is going to work. Jacob works for the bride he loves. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and comeliness or appearance. And now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and, he, and, it's, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. Now in verse 14, he says, Your bone in my flesh. Which was a way to, to speak of like, uh, this is adoption type language. Let me just read to you this quote from a commentary by John Walton. He says, this initial statement by Laban, you're a bone in my flesh, shows some similarity to terminology used in adoption literature. It is possible that in verse 14, Laban is proposing taking Jacob into partnership, which suggests that Jacob will have some prospects for inheritance. A month later, verse 15, however, Laban acts as if no such deal had ever been made. He says, are you my brother that you should work for nothing? It is, in this proposal, the entire relationship is restructured and that Jacob is considered as doing work for hire as an employee rather than enjoying a share of the property as a family partner. And so this fits with what we know of Laban. Later on, in John or Genesis 31, maybe some 20 years later, uh, Jacob is going to say this. He says, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages 10 times, but God has not allowed him to hurt me. So Laban was one that would strike a deal and then would go back on it and would change it. And it happened to him 10 different times. This seems to be uh, one of those times where it's not what he says is not actually what's happening. Laban, nobody to model as it comes to integrity, is he? He's a guy that is a beguiler. He's a tricker. He's a deceiver. But we as believers, we are to be true to our word. What we say, what we commit to is what we follow through with. Even if It puts us in a difficult place. We must be true to our word. And you know, there are examples in the Old Testament where when Israel entered into a covenant with the Gibeonites and then they reneged on that covenant that God brought hardship upon them for not being faithful to their word. And we need to be men and women of our word. And when it comes to work, when it comes to relationships, what did we say we're going to do? The question isn't, is my lawyer better than your lawyer? The question is, I am a woman, I am a man of God, and I speak as a representative of the Lord, and so whether I'm sharing the gospel or just in the general affairs of my life, I am living out the gospel, and I need to be a man or a woman of my word. Laban doesn't know that, and he's not interested in that. But God is going to teach Jacob the importance of this. It's interesting, probably more than any other person in Jacob's life, God is going to use this guy to shape him and disciple him. Not through positive input, but through negative input. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us would say, yeah, I know that. I know that God uses people who let you down, who lie, who deceive, who trick, and don't follow through to really draw Meet close to him. So don't ever think that God is not able to work. One of the greatest acts that ever happened in mankind happened because unrighteous people wanted to do something to Jesus, and that's put him on the cross. Yet God, in his sovereignty, used their unrighteous acts to bring about such a blessing. And even though Laban is accountable for his sin against Jacob, God is going to use Laban to fashion and disciple Jacob into a man of character. But he was one you had to watch. So Laban has two daughters we just read. One is Rachel. Jacob loves her, and she has the looks. Leah's the elder daughter, though, important to the story. She's the elder daughter, and, well, she doesn't have those looks. And you kind of see that contrast in what we just read. It says she had tender eyes, or delicate eyes, weak eyes. There was something about her parents that just did not was not striking to Jacob. And down through um, the ages, you come into the times of the New Testament. And Josephus, a historian of the Jews, wrote and said, Leah was of no comely countenance. And Their names. Leah means cow. Wild cow, actually. <laughs> not, don't, don't name your daughter that. But in fairness, it probably did not resonate in that culture. The way we hear it in our ears, this is a this is a farming family, and um, some have suggested this might actually be more like antelope. Which, you know, so it's a little nicer there, antelope, and and but you know we hear cow when we think, oh my goodness. Um, Rachel's name means you, um, so you know again they're keeping the farm animal thing you know in the family and the names, but there is something to. Uh, Leah and how it resonates with us. I think you know she would have felt this. I mean, remember, I mean the family. You have Sarah, who's you know like 85 years old, and Abraham's worried that when he goes into a new town, that everybody's going to want to marry her. She's so beautiful, and so he says, hey, "Don't tell them you're married to me. Just say we're brothers." And Rebecca was beautiful when she when when Isaac went into. He did the same thing. Don't tell him you're married to me because you're so beautiful. Everybody's going to want to marry you. And now here's Leah of the same family. And it's like, yeah, she's not so good looking. And, and yet Rachel, her sister, is beautiful. And that is the circumstances that um, kind of sets up the scene. You know, you have the beautiful uh, younger daughter who's loved by Jacob and the older daughter, not so good looking, that's not. And so Jacob agrees to work for seven years. He says, I'll work for seven years to gain, gain the hand of, of um, the hand of Rachel as my bride. Uh, the going rate for a bride, you're like, going rate? Right? Yeah, because they would it would be a dowry. And so what would be typical would be about 40 shekels. You could earn a half a shekel to a shekel per month at this at these times. So he's willing to give up 84 months of labor. 84 shekels, if you will. He's willing to pay twice the going rate. I mean, he's, he's pretty struck with her. And of course, Laban's quite happy to uh, take that advantage and says, yeah, be glad to do this. And we read that the years seemed but as days because he loved her so much. It was a beautiful story, unless you're Leah. It's a beautiful story so far. And um, he's, it just the time went by like that. But you know in that if I can find that verse again real quick, um, Oh what verse was it? Well anyways, you, you, um, hmm. I just read it but anyways, we're, he's talking about where he says, listen, it, was, it seemed but days, and it was a joy for him to um, to do this I, this really, I think, is a great picture of what our joy ought to be like towards the Lord. Not to her, for her, but to him. What kind of joy is it? When you think about giving up the next 84 months of your life for the Lord, is there a sense of joy? Is there a sense of blessing? I'll gladly serve the Lord. You know, We've been here um, 26 years. We've been in full-time ministry for 33 years. And both Rebecca and myself were serving the Lord, you know, multiple times a week before we ever got married. And um, for us, it's been the joy of our life. It has seemed like days in serving the Lord for all of these years. I think, man, almost 27 years have gone by since we came to Lynchburg. I was 27 when I got here. So here I am at 54, another 27 years. I think things are going to look and feel a little bit different in the next 27 years, should the Lord tarry, and we, we're still around. But it's been a joy to serve the Lord. And I encourage you to serve the Lord. Ah, here it goes. They need help at the church. You know what? Listen, if you've got to be manipulated and tricked into serving the Lord, just don't do it. It is a joy. You're the one that's losing out on serving the Lord. If you don't know what it's like to labor hard and feel like it just started... Because it was such a pleasure. I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for you that you don't know what it's like to give yourself away. To wear yourself out. To pour out your energy and your time and your resources for the kingdom of God. If you don't know what it's like to labor like that and to experience the joy of it, you're the one that's missing out. Listen, there's lots of people serving the Lord. And there's room for more. Jesus said we should pray for the the laborers that there would be few. So, yes... We always want to see people growing up, being raised up, equipped to do the work of the ministry. But we don't like to manipulate. You know, you'll ne- you will never come to Calvary Chapel Lynchburg, go sign up for Sunday school, drop your kids off in Sunday school, and next week get a phone call from us asking you to do Children's ministry. We're never going to do that. We're not going to come chasing you down. We might come and say, hey, we recognize the work of God in your life. Here's an area. But you're never going to find us manipulating and calling you to do things. Because it is a joy to serve the Lord. And so I pray that if you don't know what it's like to be tired serving the Lord, you'll find out before the end of this year. Give yourself away. Oh, yeah, I used to do that. And then this happened. And that happened well, whatever happened, I guarantee you it wasn't Jesus. It might have been a person. It might have been a group of people, but it wasn't Jesus. Well, I don't serve because I got hurt so bad. Well, let me tell you something. The people that hurt you, Jesus is the first one to stand up. He's front, first in line to rebuke that person and call them to repentance. I don't think that's the person you should be mad at. He's the one that's on your team. He's the one that's that's defending you, and he's laying the, the word down of how people should be treated. Why are you withdrawing from him? He's the one person you can trust to do right by you. So th- that is, I, I get it. I mean, listen, I just told you a little resume. We've been in ministry for a while. We, we know what it's like to make mistakes and to hurt people, sadly. I mean, we, we know what it's like to not live up to what we're supposed to be. But We also know what it's like to be hurt. But you know what? None of it, none of it would ever push me away from serving Jesus because we love him. Jacob loved Rachel and it seemed but a few days. And I pray that's your experience with serving the Lord. The words serve and work and wages, they are often repeated in this chapter 29, 30, 31 uh, section of Jacob's life. Nine times the word wages is found. Thirteen times either the word work or served is found. And it kind of is echoing the negative relationship he had with Laban. Some see in this a foreshadowing of the difficult times that Israel will have in Egypt in their slavery. Maybe it is. You can ponder, talk about it on the way home. You guys can have fun with it. In verse 21, uh, we see that at last the seven years are up. And it's now time for Jacob to marry the one he loves. And the tone kind of seems a little short. Now, I don't know that it is, but just reading this, he's like, all right, seven years are up. Give me my wife. That's the way it kind of reads. I think that's consistent. I think that's not going too far out on the limb because Laban is a tricker and a deceiver. And there are probably in these seven years were all kinds of ways he sought to uh, renegotiate. And he's like, you give me my wife. And, and Laban comes through. He says, all right, it's time for you to get a, uh, a wife who's a daughter of mine. I am happy to provide one for you. It's is not going to be the one you think. What a guy. So, verse 23 through 30, we find out that the deceiver is deceived. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, this is Laban did this, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that behold, I mean that's quite a behold, don't you think? Behold, (laughs) it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And listen to Laban's words and, and wonder, did this pierce the heart of Jacob at all? I mean, he's angry. Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. What had happened back in Beersheba? The younger Jacob was supplanting the older Esau to get that privilege of being the firstborn. No doubt Laban knows this. And so he's, he tricks him. And he says, listen, I don't know what you do in your country, but here in my country, we don't do that. We've got a custom when we follow this out. Now listen, God would have made Jacob the, the one to inherit the Abrahamic promises no matter what, but Fortunately, he didn't unfortunately he didn't wait, and he used trickery and deceit to try and get it all. And so it would have served as a rebuke. Fulfill her week. So seven-week uh seven-day wedding. And we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. All right, finish out the week. I'll give you Rachel too, but then you've got to serve me for seven more years, 14 years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel. And he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. It's like, how in the world could that even begin to happen? He's like, how? I mean, in our wedding customs, you're like, that would never happen. But here's the wedding customs. Um, It was a festival festival. And the Hebrew word implies it was a drinking fest. So this is from Bruce Waltke. He says, the Hebrew word implies a drinking fest. Jacob probably was not in control of all of his faculties on his wedding night. By befuddling Jacob with wine and using the blindness of the bridal veil and the darkness of night, Laban pulls off his deception just as his sister, Rebekah, had deceived Isaac with hairy skin, the smell of clothing, and a tasty stew. Wow, it's all coming back. He's reaping what he has sown. The deceiver has been deceived. The law of reciprocity is coming to pass. It's hard to even put into words how he must have felt. We can all imagine it. But, you know, uh, the Bible speaks of drunkenness. And it talks about how drunkenness will be a mockery. It will make a mockery of that person who does that. The Bible says that we should be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, wasteful living. But be filled with the Spirit. The Bible doesn't forbid alcohol, but it certainly forbids getting drunk. And be careful if you make excuses, because one morning you may wake up in a situation You can justify your wine cooler if you want to, but if your wine cooler is getting you drunk, you may wake up with a Leah one morning. And a mockery has come into your life because of that indiscretion, because you put yourself in a place to inebriate yourself and cause your faculties to become dull. And you make a decision or something takes place and now you're walking out the consequences of it. The Bible warns, From the beginning to the end about this drunkenness. And Jacob, I guarantee you, he would be a teetotaler after this night. I mean, it's like, what did I do? Can't believe it happened. Galatians 6, 7 through 8, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. He has sowed to the flesh. He has deceived. He's gone in league with his mom to deceive uh, uh, Isaac and take what was Esau's. But it's all been reversed now, isn't it? The blindness of Isaac is seen in the darkness of the wedding night for Jacob. Leah pretends to be the younger Rachel, while Jacob pretended to be the elder Esau. Isaac thought Jacob was Esau, and Jacob thought he was in the presence of Rachel. What irony. He's reaping what he has sown. You think, well, but God met him in Bethel, and God promised to bless him, and he is blessing him. The prosperity is, is there upon his life. But that does not mean that God doesn't have things to do in Jacob's life to correct him and to discipline him. Look at this quote from Gordon Wynn. He says, Nowhere does Scripture allow that the elect are immune from God's discipline and punishment. You only, you only have, I, I have known, of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Amos 3.2 to Israel. The Lord disciplines him whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. (laughs) Jacob is surprised, but why is he surprised? That's the way he's been living life. But we too get surprised. We can sow to the flesh. We can fill our minds with stuff. We can let our mouth just kind of, you know... You know, not not careful. We hurt people. We say things. We don't do kind things. And now all of a sudden, we begin to reap a storm in our life. And we're like, why is this happening? Why is God doing this to me? Because he loves you. And he's going to correct you. He's going to correct me. He's going to correct us. Because he loves us. And he wants us to look more and more like his son. And that is a worthy goal. It is the most worthy goal. And so when we are walking in sin, and we begin to deal with the consequences of it. Don't get angry at God. Don't get angry angry at Uncle Laban. Stand back and see the hand of the Lord and say, oh Lord, you are righteous in all your ways. I have sinned and you are correcting me and I submit to it. That was the response. And it's going to take years before Jacob gets it. But the Lord loves him enough to begin to do this. Now, you got two sisters same husband. And we're like, well, that's forbidden. And you're right. Leviticus eighteen eighteen in the, uh, the Mosaic law, it is forbidden. At this time, there is no law of Moses and it is not forbidden. And, you know, some people will look at this and they'll say, "Oh, well, see, this is why the word of God. I don't trust it. Eh, I don't want anything to do with it. Well, wait a minute. It's the word of God that said later that sisters should not be married to the same man. So what about now? What's your attitude towards the word of God now? You know, on the one hand, you can, because the Bible's honest and it shows the shortcomings and the failures, you can look and say, I want nothing to do with it. But, but you're, you're saying, hey, we've got a better way now. Well, where did you get the better way? You got the better way from the word of God. And so you maybe are more embracing the word of God than you even know. And you're more celebrating the ways and the wisdom of the Lord than you're even willing to acknowledge. But it's not honest. Be honest with yourself. And the Word of God. We wrap it up here with thinking about how Jacob ends up waking up in the morning married to a person he did not think he was marrying. Now I doubt that any of you have ever had this exact circumstance but I imagine (coughs) what I just said resonates as a painful truth for some of you. You thought you were marrying one person but you found out that that person is different or they've changed. And so it's no longer Rachel, it's now Leah. It's no longer the person you love, but it's the person you don't love. And this is difficult. Jacob went to bed thinking it was Rachel, woke up to find out it was Leah. Some ladies go to bed thinking it's Ray, and they wake up to find out it's Lee. It's not what you thought. Well, what do you do? You trust in the providence of God. God is at work. And God is moving even in this most dysfunctional marriage. Who is Leah? She is the mother of Levi and Judah. Jesus is in the line of Judah. And the Levites are the ones that functioned as the priests Under the Mosaic law. Of all the children born, of the 12 born, the most significant is the one that is born to Leah, and that is her son Judah. And that is the lineage that Jesus is in. God is sovereign, and he's working even in this circumstance. The Bible says, wife, that you are to love your husband Actually, you are to uh, submit to your husband as the church is in submission to Christ. You are to respect him. To the husband, it says you are to love your wife as Christ loves the church. There are no conditional clauses in those commandments. You go look it up on your own and read it. There's no conditional clauses. If your husband, if your wife, no. It just gives straightforward commands, do this. And this is what I would say to you. If you're living with a, a Leah or a Lee, and this is what you need to do. You need to be obedient to the word of God and be the man and the woman that he's called you to be. Ah, oh, it's so hard. I, I, I know there are difficult circumstances. There are heartbreaking circumstances. But in this situation, we see that God can still work and he can still move and his will can still be accomplished. You notice in this room is full of people whose marriages have been restored and where it was a, Hoping for Rachel being married to Leah, only to find out at the end that you know what. I like that Leah. At the end of Jacob's life, when he was going to be buried, uh, Leah was buried in Machpelah, and Rachel was buried in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, I think it was Bethlehem. Could have been Bethel, Bethlehem, Bethel, something like that. Where does Jacob ask to be buried when he dies? With Leah. Now, it is where the patriarchs are buried, but it's with Leah that he ends up wanting to go to rest with. It seems like, and I might be reading a little bit too much into it, but it seems like he comes to the place and says, I get it, God. I see what you're doing. Bury me with her. And trust the Lord in your circumstances. Commit to being the man or the woman of God in marriage that he's called you to be. And walk it out. And like I listen, there's two wills involved, right? Husband and wife. And so, but the best possibility for a husband to be changed or a wife to be changed is for the husband or wife to live out the word of God each and every day. It gives God the greatest space to work from your life to restore the marriage and make it what it ought to be. Well, it would be much better if both of you would decide this morning, enough of the battle. We're just going to do what God's word says. And Listen, you could, you could type it out on a paper this size, the commandments that are given to husbands and wives. Love and respect. Not hard. That's it. Two words. Pray for the grace of the Lord to give you the strength and he'll do it. So we've seen the providence of God in guiding Jacob so we can be full of faith that God's going to guide us. We saw the law of reciprocity at work, and it should warn us in our conduct. We saw the joy of love and disappointment in marriage. So learn to accept your marriage and work for change. And we see that God is fulfilling the promise that the seed would come even through these most bizarre circumstances. God is in the middle of chapter 29, and it's all about, God bringing a family together through whom Jesus Christ would eventually descend. Father, thank you for your word and for your care. Lord, thank you that you warn us enough that how we live is going to have a result on the blessing or the trouble we bring upon ourselves. And you are faithful to warn, you are faithful to correct, and we thank you for it. Lord, I pray for marriages where there is great disappointment, there's a behold, what have I married? I pray, Lord, that you would, you would meet that disappointed husband, wife, right now with your word, and that they would trust you. They would lean upon you with all of their, their heart. They would trust in their own understanding. They'd acknowledge you in all their ways. Lord, help them. Give them grace. Give them joy and peace to walk it out. And Lord, may we be those that are happy to serve you, not begrudgingly giving our time and our energies and our life, but just joyfully paying double if need be and happy to do so because you've been so good to us.